I'm Matthew W. Quinn. You're listening to the Fandom Squad Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad Podcast. My awesome guest this week is author Matthew Quinn. How's it going? Fine. How are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask you, so uh, when when you started to, you know, uh, come up for the concept for your for your books, how did that come about? Was you already like starting as like a writer sort of thing, like a journalist, or did you just kind of just get into storytelling? Um, well, I remember writing my own little stories probably as early as preschool. My grandmother had an electric typewriter, very old fashioned, and I'd write stories on that. So that that was the late 80s. Oh, cool. And the first story I sent to a to try and somewhere I would pay me for it was I was in high school. I was probably a junior. My first rejection slip was dated September 11th, 2001. Oh, wow. I was like, Oh, that is crazy. Just that, yes. that timing. Yeah. And the guy's office was in Hoboken, New Jersey. So he was pretty close to it too. So for your first story, the, the, like the first book you put out, how did that concept come about? Where did the character come about? And like, can you explain um, this kind of the plot of the, the first book that you came out with? Okay. The first book that came out was, is on um, the thing in the woods. That's like a Lovecraft style horror novel set in rural Georgia. That one came around because I was visiting the borders in East Cobb, a rest in peace borders, and I was reading the Call of Cthulhu manual. I've never really been into playing RPGs, but I like the lore. So they came up with a scenario, um, which what happens when the Lovecraft country, you know, the rural inbred areas where they worship the horrors from beyond, what happens that gets suburbanized? Once upon a time, there was this town called Love Canal where they built an elementary school on top of a long abandoned toxic waste dump. So that was the metaphor they used. That's that's a, a cool concept. When I when I first got it from you, I you were telling me that the con I read it and it's it's very it's it's a it's a new take on it that's a very interesting and and it's like I said, I enjoyed the book so far. So you've read the first one. Have you read the second one? have not i'm still in the process of reading the first one i'd ask i'd ask who's dead yet but that might start getting into spoilers so <laughs> so from that concept so how did you know i know how the uh, for, for the first book when would you had the original for the because i know it, is it it's three books correct from the from the series the thing in the woods there's a sequel the atlanta incursion and i'm now that i'm done with serpent sword the second main book in the battle for the wasteland steampunk series I'm going to start working on the third book, The Walking Worm. There's Battle for the Wastelands, the pre prequel novella, Son of Grendel. And the one that just came out is on Amazon now is Serpent Sword. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think that's the one we were talking about. We were trying to wait a little bit for it to come out so we could help promote that one too. So so for the concept for those, how did that come about? You know, was it, you already had the idea and kind of just fleshed it out or how did you, you know, did you, was it inspired we, by certain things? When I was, you know, my dad always had a lot of Stephen King books and I was in high school, he let me read them. And so one of the books I read was The Gunslinger. Have you read The Gunslinger? I have not. I, I've, a lot of the, I've, I know a lot of his main stuff. I haven't read that one. I just read the, um, Pet Cemetery is my favorite one that I've read recently. I went back on, but I haven't read Gunslinger. I've heard good things about it, though. Yeah, so the Gunslinger is set in a world that's heavily implied to be some kind of post-apocalyptic world. You know, the world has moved on. And the Gunslinger is like the warrior class 
and they have very rare fire. So I was reading it. I remember I, I, I've gotten associated with my church group basketball league's coach's funeral that I probably had one of the very earliest versions. So we're probably talking my sophomore year of high school. And so basically it's the Dark Tower meets Game of Thrones. Sweet. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So I mean, over the years, it started out much more fantastically, like guns were rare and people didn't have last names. It was like the site, it almost reverted to like a medieval state. But over the years, it just mutated until it turned into full-on steampunk. Sweet. So did it also kind of have like a steampunkish kind of mix between a, because I know it's that same realm. Was it kind of like steampunk also meets like, you know, Road Warrior, you know, Mad Max kind of feel? Pro- probably, although I've only, the only Mad Max movie I've actually seen is the, is Fury Road. So it's not clear. It's in Fury Road. I don't think takes place that long after the apocalypse. Like Immortan Joe still has his army medals from when he was Colonel Joe Moore in the Australian Army. So uh, Battle oh, of the yeah. Wastelands takes place hundreds of years after the event I've only vaguely described as the fall. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I think yeah the the older films are the ones that are more like you know years and years later. The new one is definitely like it's more fresh. I think it's actually a prequel to the uh the mel gibson films but yeah that, that's... that makes sense that might make a bit of sense chronologically i think in the first one society has not collapsed yet but it's getting there and the second and third one were definitely in post-nuclear barbarian territory yes for sure it's like i say especially the the one that i've always you know road warriors that's you definitely have the barbarian, you know, the the medieval, everybody dressing basically like biker slash, you know, apocalyptic warrior type. <laughs> yeah. So mine, how familiar are you with uh, world history? I'm a big, I'm a big history nut. Yeah. So this is hundreds of years after the fall. And, you know, Grendel, first Lord of the Northlands is Charlemagne, if he were a much bigger jerk or the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huangdi. You know, the dude who puts an end to centuries of civil war and unrest with the autocratic iron fist. Yes, 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 yes. And he's based in looks. Like, have you seen Highlander? Yes, I I love Highlander. He's sort of an updated version of the medieval Kurgan. Like, he's got the tiger skull helmet, helmet, but that kind of outfit wouldn't work for an age of guns. So he's got kind of like a metal trench coat i think it's called a brigadine and he carries around what we recognize in m16 and he has a battle axe made out of one of his enemies spines but that's more for ceremonial for showing off awesome that that and that sounds amazing now with a lot of the the stuff you described have you ever thought about taking like the uh these the your books and stuff making like a graphic novel because that would be uh, that would like the visuals would be amazing for that because I know your writing is great too and just you know your way you describe things mixed with like a a graphic design like a graphic novel version have you ever thought about like doing that as a concept not really I mean I might start somewhat small with thing in the woods as a graphic novel because that is relatively self-contained and relatively short yeah that like I said I know because I know sometimes I can it can be a lot harder you know taking you know the written and turning it into a visual thing. So yeah, that's starting out with something a little bit lighter than, you know, the main books. 
Now, one that I definitely want to talk about that definitely I, I got at the con that was a big interest to me was the um, Little People Big Guns. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that one? <laughs> oh, boy, that's a story. Um, I spend way too much time on social media. And going around out there in the interwebs is a story about how TV chef Gordon Ramsay's gay dwarf porn star lookalike was found dead in a badger den somewhere in England. And soon afterwards, I think what well, was the Huffington Post, I think, they investigated and they said, we have no record of this man existing. And the police department in the town where it supposedly takes place had never heard of this case. It turns out this was a parody article from a British tabloid called The Sunday Sport that had somehow gone viral and a lot of major newspapers and wire services thought it was real. My God. So there's an expression, a lie can go half around the world before the truth is finished putting on its shoes. And you search that story every few years, somebody picks up and runs with it again. So it is almost certainly not true. So, but my creative wheels were going, and I um, had um, gotten a volunteer gig at the World Horror Conference in Atlanta in 2015, thanks to Anya Martin. And um, I managed to pitch the concept. At that point, it was just killer badgers and little people. And I pitched that to Jeff Burke from Deadite Press. They're a small press in Portland that does extreme horror. And he thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever heard, but the stuff with the little people and the killer badgers, that, that's kind of like to him only the first third of the story. What happens next? So I just made up on the spot. Well, I'm not here. That's getting a little spoilery. There is a human threat behind the badgers. And that's the rest of the book. Yeah, definitely. As soon as you, as soon as you told me when I was asking about the covers and the titles and, and you explained the, the, you know, the little people badger thing, I was like, yeah, that is, that is hilarious. I definitely want to take a gander at that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it'd be nice if it was adapted to a movie. It was, it was required that all the little people, all the little people characters be played by actual little people. That way they're guaranteed jobs. Oh, yeah, because I think before, like, somebody like Peter Dinklage, who does, like, you know, made it where you can be a little person and do non-little people roles, like, I think mainly a lot of them got, you know, were elves, or, you know, or like in the Wizard of Oz is like, you know, the Munchkin and stuff. They didn't have a lot of, you know, roles until uh, him and some other people like broke the mold, you know. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. That that's a that is something I could definitely see that book as being a, a you know one of those those you know those B horror movies that you're like it becomes an instant cult classic, you know. It'd be like cocaine bear, you know, some sort of something so absolutely gonzo. Yes. <laughs> Which I just recently seen that film. It is, oh God, it is, it's so good. It is, it's a lot better than it should be. And it is, it is so hilarious. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Hollywood is making some original movies for once. And I hope it makes all its money. So everyone go out there and see cocaine bear. Yes, and especially especially here, he's glad that it's made in Georgia, you know, back in our backyard, you know. Yeah, it takes place on, like, the story it's very loosely based on actually took place either North North Georgia or South Tennessee. Oh, yeah, like my the, uh, the fiance, dead bear, I think, was found around Blood Mountain. Oh, yeah, where, where it took place at, my fiance, her family actually, like, years ago, were, were used to camping there a lot of the time, so she's actually been to the 
the place where it happened like in the early like 2000s when she was a little girl so she was like yeah i remember that pavilion and i remember that and i'm like wait a minute this is a real place and she was like yeah this actually happened at a real in a real park here in georgia it's near uh it's it's right there near like the georgia tennessee line because i think the dead guy in the driveway was in tennessee and the bear was in north georgia yeah, 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 yeah. Because it's uh, it's one of those. It's uh, the real story. Uh, a lot of people don't know. Like the real story, it wasn't like the bear. There was some attacks, but the bear. It actually what happened is they found the bear dead because like it literally just OD'd on cocaine, and somebody found it, and they just took the 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 concept and went from there. But the 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 rabid bear, all the shenanigans that happened in the film, without spoiling it. 90% of that was made up for comic relief. And uh the especially the there's a scene with some cubs and those that that wasn't part of the actual event. It was just the the bear itself was, you know, found the drugs that were dropped by the um the actual guy. The the thing you're talking about with the guy in the driveway, that yeah, all of that was a real thing. And uh which is which is crazy to, you know, in hindsight, you're like, wow, that's I know this is for a, a dark comedy film, but like the fact that it's real events, you know, loosely based, but some of it actually, like there's a scene where they show like a, a news report and it's actually the real life news report. I think it was either Fox or CNN that they show. And it was the actual news report from the time that it happened. Have you read Little People, Big Guns yet? Um, I read a few bits, but I read like the first chapter of it. There's there are some cocaine bear esque shenanigans. Those happen much later in the story. I'm definitely looking forward to those to those shenanigans, because that's definitely like I said, that's definitely my my definitely my type of humor is that if it's if it's super gory and it's funny at the same time, it's it's a win win for me. <laughs> so, have you thought about you know creating uh? Any, have you had any other ideas or creating anything else that's like in that same horror, you know, horror comedy genre? Because I know majority of yours is no, you more serious than, you know, horror comedy. Because I know you did the one book. Have you had any other ideas for any like more horror comedy stuff? Well, I have um, an idea. My, my, I, sorry, my brain went off. I'm a high school teacher, but last summer I didn't do summer school. I was hoping I could finish Serpent Sword. It ended up happening about nine months later than it should have. But I also wrote a big chunk of another idea called Praying Mantis, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. Where the idea is that somewhere in rural West Florida, somebody was dumping their meth lab equipment in a swamp. And little bugs eat the meth. And the bigger bugs eat the little bugs. It goes up the food chain to end up with deformed praying mantises about the size of a human that can kill a cow. That sounds amazing. That sounds definitely so just up my in, alley. So just in time for some kids from Orlando to come to, to come to this small town for spring break, because I never use the word COVID, but it's kind of implied that everything else is closed. So everybody is going to um, Florida for spring break. So the closest they can find, because so all the Destin and Sand Destin, all those are so super crowded. They're in this little small town, the panhandle, no one ever goes. Although I think it's set somewhere in 2022 because one of the characters is a local rancher who's an Afghan vet. And so he's just sitting around bitter about the fall of Kabul. So I mean, I do try and throw in some social commentary, just like there actually is some social commentary in Little People, Big Guns. But a lot of this is just trauma level insanity. 
I'm probably about a third done with it because it'll probably be at little people big guns length, maybe a little, a little longer. It's amazing. It's definitely definitely up my alley. And like you know, the 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 concept that's that's something I haven't heard before. It's a lot like um, it seems like you know that I forget the name of the author. I think it has that that weird German name where the uh, the people start turning into the mutants and stuff. Uh, it it uh, reminds me of that. What is the name of that? They made a episode uh, based on his name from Rick and Morty. They made a world about it. Um, it reminds me of Kafka, that where of- he turns into a bug. Yes, 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 yes. I forget the name of the the author, but he there was a Met- um, what is his name? It was Met- the Metamorphosis. It was by Kafka, and a dude turns into a giant either roach or dung beetle. It's not totally clear. Yeah, yeah, that one, and it's uh that that concept of that guy, and just you know that it reminds me of that mixed with you know that comedy horror of you know the giant bug eating the the uh the dumb innocent spring breaker kids and especially being in florida that's that's one of those uh florida man headlines that you're you're like okay that seems like it's not real but it probably could actually happen <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to throw in some florida man jokes in there too because florida has really liberal open records laws so if you're a newspaper you need something urgent just look up a true crime story from florida that's why it's always florida man or florida woman and it's it's and it's definitely like especially with the the meth drop that that is like that goes hand in hand because it's usually somebody ate meth or bath salts and did some crazy stuff <laughs> yeah because if, if i was working for a newspaper in alpharetta georgia a few years ago and by a few i mean we're talking like 2011 2012 here and i remember around that time someone in florida had eat consumed bath salts and like chewed someone's face off so they're probably soon afterwards a bunch of bath salts zombies trash books <laughs> like bath salt walking dead that would that's a that, that would be a, a new concept it's instead of a virus it's just somebody ate bath salts and, and uh, started eating people that's that is a concept i would love to see somebody take on the new uh the, I wouldn't say new. It's more the zombie genre. I know it's gotten big here, like past ten years. Like even though it's been around since you know the the forties with you know Light, Night of the Living Dead, it's got a new reassurance here recently. But I would love to see some new take on you know the zombie virus because we've seen you know how The Walking Dead did it. You know, twenty eight days later, it would be cool to see you know a comedy sort of a what is the uh sort of like Shaun of the dead you know taking that zombie horror and turning into like a horror comedy that would definitely be a good one with you know the bath salts (laughs) oh there actually is a 2013 movie called bath salt zombies oh my god i i let me i have to look that up you'll have to send me that because that is a I'll have to, that's definitely, I'll have to check into that and check that out, because my my fiance is, she's more the horror fan than me, I'm more the, you know, sci-fi nerd, and so how she got me into a lot of the horror is she introduced me to the horror comedy genre with uh, the Leprechaun series, and so I was like, okay, I can get into these movies if they're anything like this. <laughs> Oh, that, that reminds me, I'm a regular participant in a film podcast called Myopia Movies. We watch childhood movies, see if they're still good. So we had one episode on Leprechaun in Space. 
is the fourth one. Oh God, yeah, that that was uh, the second one she showed me. She showed me Leprechaun Three, where it's at the casino, and then we watched Leprechaun in Space. So, oh God, you have to tell me what you can what tell you guys a franchise. <laughs> you can tell a franchise is in decline. It goes into space, like Jason X, Hellraiser Bloodline, which is the last one in theaters, then Leprechaun in Space. I think Leprechaun in the Hood were direct to video. Oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure. Because I always thought I got a Leprechaun in the Hood and Tales from the Hood mixed up. And she was like, no, 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 no. One is actually good and one is is, is terrible. <laughs> Tales from the Hood. I remember seeing previews for it, something called the Preview Channel, where that you it was a TV channel. You had cable. You could watch movie trailers, and that's where you saw what was available on pay-per-view. So Tales from the Hood is the early 90s. Oh, yeah. The, the reason how I saw it is I saw a couple of the – somebody used, I guess, the picture of him as a meme as uh, Samuel Jackson's character in that movie. And so I was like, wait a minute, is that Samuel Jackson? What is that? I've never seen him in like a vampire role. And then my fiance was like, yeah, that's Tales from the Hood. And I was like, okay, you got to show me this film. I'm not, I need to, I need to see this. <laughs> yeah, Samuel Jackson played a lot more characters back then than just bad dudes. Like he was, Ar the doctor, he was Mr. Arnold, the scientist in Jurassic Park. And he was, whatever this vampire character was now he's like nick fury mace windu and the dude on snakes on a plane you know i'm just gonna yes. curse and kill people oh yeah it's, i always make the joke of my fiance is like stop it i'm like no i would never 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 not be that so if we go to the store and we because i'm a big star wars nut myself if we go to the store and i see a mace windu lightsaber i always call it the motherfucker lightsaber and she's like oh my <laughs> god i'm like it is the motherfucker lightsaber okay <laughs> Yeah, for beating down Grandpa Satan with. Yes. <laughs> before emo Antichrist had to get in the way. Exactly. Yes. Oh God. They, these, I I told somebody I was like I'm a Star Wars fan, but these new films I just, uh, I, I I it's one of those things like I still love the franchise, but I just I can't, I can't get into the new stuff. It's just they took a route that I'm like. You shouldn't have gone there. That's not at all what you should have done. They, they should have adapted the Thrawn books. That would be easier, but then you'd have to have all the original cast. Oh yeah. So, there's a there's a book I bought a couple of years ago that I would love to see the story. Uh, I can't remember the name of the title, but it's the one where Luke goes on an adventure with uh, this uh I think he's a Jedi or something, but he's like a like a tiger guy. And the and it's from like the early I think it's like from like 1993, and I picked it up at a trade show just because I like the cover on it and that storyline I'd love to see you know, it was kind of like the concept of the I wouldn't say the Mandalorian but it was sort of that solo adventure type thing where it wasn't just like oh it has to do back to the you know the Skywalker family line and all this crap it was just like hey Luke's a Jedi. Luke's a Jedi now, and he's on adventures doing Jedi stuff. And I was, uh, I would love to see that. That's why I enjoy, you know, the Rebel series and, you know, the the Clone Wars series outside of the main films because it gives you that, you know, that adventure without everything having to be back related to the Skywalkers, you know. So for you, what is uh, some things I also like to ask because I, I can tell you're into the same stuff. What are some of the other like franchises stuff besides, you know, like Star Wars and the main stuff? What are some of the other like geek stuff that you're into, you know, 
I always say like, what's your top three fandoms or like your, you know, honorable mentions. What, what are some of your uh, other geek stuff that you're into? Well, I did watch Game of Thrones all the way to the next to last episode. And that made me so angry that I didn't even bother with the last episode. My my high school was having its graduation that night, so duty called. I read the 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 books because I was also a Tolkien fan, and I I love Lord of the Rings and you know everything Tolkien did. And somebody told me about getting into, you know, games, and I I read the books, and I was just the series was okay, but I just I I didn't like it as much. And then when they said the ending was terrible, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna. I'm not going to go five years into this just to be unsatisfied at the end. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's, I, I think that there's now that people know the ending of the, of the show, there's some, you can look, read back in the books and look at some hints are going to happen, but I think a lot of stuff is going to happen differently. But always, always recommend, you know, I guess it goes back, you know, you being an author, I always go back to, you know, the shows and stuff are great, but if you can, you know, start with the source material go to the books first so you get the story that the creator wanted you to get in the first place because there's a lot of stuff that when it goes to film or it goes to outside of you know written there's a lot of things that have to be cut for financial reasons so i i definitely you know always tell people go back to the book force the book source first and get the original ideas and the way this story was supposed to be what the creator wanted you to read first. Well, to be fair, like the MCU movies, a lot of the comics are based on are completely silly. So they've kind of made it more grounded for the MCU movies. I think that's somewhat better. Like Ulysses Claw in the comics is like a being of pure sound. And in here, he's just... Andy Circus listening to Afrikaner folk music and selling people guns. Oh yeah, it's it's the like I try to tell somebody too when it goes back to that too. You know, I own the uh, the Gauntlet series, which a lot of people don't realize the the Gauntlet series is what you know in game and all those films are loosely based on from like 1995 that had you know where it had Thanos came in and was doing taking over, so they kind of took that concept of it wasn't as dark as they did in Endgame. It was more, like you said, more that lighter, you know, whimsical sort of thing that they did in the comics because as people sometimes forget, comics are initially for kids. Some of them are made for adults. You know, there are ones like, I definitely would not recommend your child reading Watchmen by themselves if they're under the age of 13. <laughs> but some of them, you know, majority of them are mainly for, you know, and are rated E for everyone. Unlike, you know, the Marvel films that can be a little more dark and, you know, more adult themed than, you know, the original source material. So, yeah, I agree with you on that one, that it's definitely, it definitely depends on, you know, where you're coming from and how you can change things. Like, I know for Polka Dot Man in the new Suicide Squad movie, Polka Dot Man is, you know, just a generic background character that, you know, is a throw-off character in the comic series. But I love the way that they, you know, they took those, James Gunn took the liberty of Polka Dot Man and gave us this other character in the film that, you know, I fell in love with Polka Dot Man. I never thought I'd say those words because I, like I said, I wasn't really a fan of him in the comics. Well, the great George Takei. <laughs> oh my. Yes. 
you know, taking those characters, you know, and making something new. So sometimes it just depends on, you know, who's leading the ship, whether they can take the source material and make something great or, you know, have a overlord like HBO ruin it because somebody, you know, was pushing on time. It's like, hey, we got to get this out. We can't do this drawn out scene that you want and ruin the fan base. <laughs> yeah, I, I was seeing, I saw the ending. I saw some, I don't say I saw the ending happen as it happened, but it was clear they were setting up Daenerys to lose it. Like, oh, all her support system is getting killed or betraying her. Up to having her best friend have her head chopped off in front of her. Oh, yeah. And her, and her advisor just pretty openly ditching her to help his brother and sister escape. So, yeah, someone who already has a family history of issues. Oh, yeah, which I'm glad is, that is going to just go completely crazy. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad that, you know, they took the, you know, they they took, you know, that what the love of that show and they gave us House of the Dragon. I've seen bits and pieces. I haven't fully watched the series yet because I'm kind of still iffy about it. The only one of the main reasons I want to get into it is a lot of people who listen to me on the show know I'm a Doctor Who fan. And so uh, there's two actors in that show, which is uh, Matt Smith, who plays in it. And then uh, a lot of people don't know this, too, that the I forget his name in the new series, but his long the kid with the, the teenager with long, blonde, curly hair is actually the son of David Tennant, who is the 10th Doctor and his wife, who was also in Doctor Who. So I want to I wanted to get into the show because of you know the actors from Doctor Who. Yeah, and I think Tennant's wife is a daughter of an earlier Doctor. So I mean, it's just yes, <laughs> like like get out the strings and the pin board. Oh yeah, there's a whole fan theory because it's funny because in the episode that where her and David Tennant actually met before you know when they met before they uh, started dating. Uh, she plays his daughter in the episode because he sticks his hand in this machine and it takes his DNA and creates this like soldier because this machine that they needed, you know, instant soldiers. So they would take DNA from people, and make an instant soldier. So in the episode, she becomes his daughter and they now have a daughter together. So there's the fan theory of she's the doctor's daughter of the doctor's daughter of the doctor's daughter of the doctor's daughter. <laughs> Inception. Yes. Which is is absolutely hilarious, which then there's another layer because the, I was like, David, I think you know what you were doing because the guy who is her dad, who is the doctor, David was, uh, he was actually a fan. It was his favorite doctor as a kid when so I'm like, dude, not only is your favorite doctor your father-in-law, you are now dating his daughter. So he's actually your family. So now he's actually your family through marriage and just because you both are family through working on Doctor Who <laughs> as the same character. Like decades. Yeah, I watched Doctor Who for a bit because my my uncle had some of these Doctor Who novels from the 70s. I remember reading one because Little and Love Dinosaurs. And so it has a dinosaur on the cover. Oh, yeah. My I love favorite, that series. But my favorite doctor is always the ninth. You know, the leather jacket's cool and he acts like a dude who's 10,000 years old who killed off his own species. Oh, yeah. That, that, there's one scene my buddy showed me. And I'm like, oh, dude, that is that is dark. But I love that. There's a in one of the episodes where he's facing the Dalek and they're like, 
what is your plan? What do you mean you can't do this without you know killing people? And he's like, you know what you need to do that would help this entire galaxy is just kill yourself. And I'm like, whoa, dude, holy crap. You definitely, I can tell Justin that saying you're a guy who's seen some stuff, you know? Yeah, so I like the ninth. Yeah. I did stick around for some of the tenth, but I think I lost interest at some point. I never saw Matt Smith, the eleventh. Oh yeah, David. He has like, even though he's my favorite, like his doctor. I love his. Uh, I used to ship him in the character Rose, the blind chick. Uh, mm-hmm. But like a lot of times, like I after watching uh, his whole series run as a whole, I prefer his. You know, his adventures by himself or there's a character named martha which martha doesn't get the love that she deserves and i think at the time because it was uh you know some people back still in 2006 2005 here in america wouldn't accept you know the doctor being in an inter interracial you know interracial relationship even though in uk that's you know that's normal to them you know, that's normal, you know, it should be normal to everybody, but, you know, UK, it's more normal than it is over here, and, you know, I guess a lot of the fan base didn't like that, but after watching the stories, I prefer him and her, because they're dynamic, instead of her being the, the puppy dog, oh my god, I love you, she was, she gave him some sass, and she called him out on his shit when he did something that he was in the wrong, even though, you know, you're this alien you know this godlike character who's seen and done almost everything coming from my perspective you know i can show you you know some things of okay that was you know you shouldn't have done it that way even though you did it like this a thousand times there's a different way you can do it in this situation so i always tell people like if you want to experience david's doctor in another way skip the like you can watch the first two seasons like the first episode of the first second season is great but after that skip to you know him and martha or him and solo episodes and you'll definitely get to feel more of him as the you'll see the yes he is no more the quirky you know lover boy doctor but it's those episodes solo you see the darkness of the lonely man you know who's whose race, you know, is completely gone, that he's the last one of his people. And so you'll definitely see there's points in that series, you know, the darkness of the Doctor that you love from the Ninth Doctor, you'll see that in 10. And it's 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 same as, uh, there's some ones I can recommend for 11 too, that definitely if you like the Ninth Doctor aspect, there's episodes where you see that dark Doctor that's not just the whimsical, you know, so besides uh, those, what are uh, some of the other things, uh, some of, you know, some literary uh, authors or, you know, uh, books and stuff? What are some of your other ones that you're into that you like reading or genres that you like for literary? Well, I like, um, so the Dean Koontz has some good ones. Like um, it's got, like, sorry, there's Phantoms, uh, Twilight Eyes, and Watchers. Watchers is the one of the super intelligent dog and the monster. That gets keep being badly adapted to film. Guys make a good movie. When I was in college, I think the last book of Koontz's I read was The Taking, which I think is Alien Invasion, and it's got some really vivid imagery in there. Oh, yeah, that sounds... I'm I'm thinking that. Now, um, 
with that too with that same genre are did you read any of like the dune books or you know the any douglas adams i read the first two hitchhiker's guide i think i lost interest partway through three and i read the first few dune i think lost interest somewhere in god emperor i recommend him he's good and another one i i think you would recommend if you haven't already read any of his uh are you a fan or you know read any of terry pratchett stuff uh no i haven't uh he's the one who co uh he co-wrote uh if you ever seen good omens or read the good omen series uh he co-created that with uh neil gaiman which neil gaiman i don't are mm-hmm. you a fan of neil gaiman i think i read i was i read i think Neverwhere, coming back on a plane from britain i was in college i was studying abroad and i think i read american gods as well but i think that's it yeah those are some of his big ones that are so great and then when it comes to the comic stuff um i definitely recommend the sandman series because it's it takes the show is great the show is great so if you want to watch both of those the show is like i said it's a different tweak to what it was in the comics like they changed some of the actors and stuff for you know some of the gendered stuff for you know to make it i can't remember exactly why they but they changed it but there was a good reason for it but you know uh the the sandman series is another great great series that if you enjoy that genre i definitely think that you would enjoy his sandman series because it takes that you know his writings and puts it into this you know this realm of you know this you know this character that you've heard about your whole life you know the sandman and all that lore that you know that you've heard your whole life and takes it and to a new darker twist that you never would, you know, think about. And it's, it's a good, it's a good read. If you love, if you've read any of his, like say, if you've read Neverwhere and you've read American Gods, that's a Sandman. I recommend that one too. Same as Good Omens. It takes, you know, the, the Antichrist story and flips it on its head. And you have Gaiman with his, you know, universe creating skills. And then you have Pratchett, which is that, you know, that very, sci-fi you know comicalness so that dry dark humor of terry pratchett so you have you know that whimsical dark you know world building of game and mixed with you know the dark seeing the comedy you know the light and the darkness type comedy from terry pratchett so if you haven't read like the series is great with david Tennant and michael um michael sheen if you haven't seen the series, the series is great, but I recommend the the book itself. The book is great. And then uh, if you're in the same genre, I recommend the movie is good too, but I highly recommend um, uh, Ready Player One. That is an amazing, amazing book. And there's a, a, there's a sequel to it. I don't know if they're going to do a film for the sequel, but the sequel to Ready I think Player a, One. I thought there great. was a film... I thought they made a film. I didn't know they made a book. Oh yeah, the uh, Ready Player One was. It was originally a book from like I think nineteen eighty nine. I'd either eighty six or eighty nine. And then they adapted it into. Um, they adapted it into a film years later, but there's not a sequel yet for the for the film. But there is a sequel book that he just came out I'm, with. Because uh, I swear there was a movie Ready Player Two. I didn't know there was a book. Oh, there is a book, Ready Player Two. My bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they made the sequel, but they haven't made the film yet. I I would love to see a film if they do it in the way they did the first one, 
that would be amazing because that was a great, great, great adaptation of the book, which they did, you know, they did update some of the things in there because when the book came out, like the pop culture references that are in there were in the book, but some of the outcomes of those pop culture references were not like as what we know them as now because they were just coming out when that move when that book came out sort of like um the back to, it's sort of like the back to the future thing like there was the joke about you know jaws number number 37 where he gets getting the little holograph eats him coming from the movie theater but years out you didn't know okay it wouldn't be jaws 37 it would be the new star wars movie coming out but at the time they didn't know that when they did the future scene so they kind of adapted the you know ready player one book to more fit the outcome of what those pop culture references became years later to what we know them as now so i definitely recommend if you like the first book i definitely recommend uh the the sequel to that book it is awesome so you mentioned your fiance is into horror there's whitley streber wrote a book called wolf the wolfen that was made into a terrible movie in the 80s but the book is great i think she was telling me about that that title sounds familiar now when it comes to like the horror books and stuff were you ever a fan of you know there's all were you ever a fan of the goosebumps series when i was a kid yeah but i got into horror probably with the um what they called the Crestwood Monsters series. They were like kids' picture books about like Dracula, the Wolfman, etc., with using stills from the movies. My elementary school library had them. This is the very early 90s. So they would have been um, relatively new at the time. And also, when I was like in preschool, I wanted to see Gremlins 2 and Arachnophobia. Mom and dad wouldn't let me see them, which is probably a good idea because... I saw Gremlins 2 as an adult. And if I wasn't, wouldn't if five-year-old me would not have been would have wasn't terrified by the goblins that are played much more scary this time, it would probably be, I would probably been bored to death by like the Trump jokes and Japanese tourist jokes. Those those are so those are adult jokes and are also really dated. Oh yeah. It's it, that movie is for sure. Like I always recommend, like, yes, I love Gremlins, the first one, but it's the second one. It's it's definitely got some more haha comedy than more horror in the second one. So I definitely I, I agree with you. There's a lot of stuff that you're like, hmm, I don't know if this is good for children, even though it's supposed to be the more kid friendly one of the two films. And then they made a commercial for like Mountain Dew or something where you see, you know, Billy is middle aged and he's he and Giz he and Gizmo still hanging out and drinking Mountain Dew. And apparently, I guess he and Kate have a kind of goth daughter who has her own, her own little mogwai. And then somebody spills Mountain Dew on Gizmo. And oh, trouble God. starts happening again. I had to so look I'm like, that up. So is this up. a canonical sequel? I had to look that up. I haven't, I haven't seen that. I have to look that up. I know that they recently did something like that. It was a, it was a Reese's, it was a Reese's Pieces uh, commercial. And it had, you know, the guy who played the little boy in E.T. And it was like a, it was a, they had him come in and do like a joke with that. And so I've well, seen well, that one. Oh, Spielberg directed a Comcast commercial where E.T. returns to Earth. And he meets grown-up Elliot and Elliot's kids. And they sit around playing video games. Yes, that's the one. That's on the Comcast. One, yes. And since okay, Spielberg's yeah. making it and that kid's in it, 
is that the canonical sequel now? That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I would love to see that as a, as a, you know, uh, I would love to see that as like an ALF type sequel to the first movie where basically E.T. comes back and he's hanging out with Elliot's kids in like an ALF format, which that show, I don't know if you ever, I, I've went back and I watched I think I might have seen a bit, bit of the cartoon because I remember there was a cartoon, you see ALF flying like a space fighter or something. Yeah. They I don't remember ever uh, watching the live action show with the puppet. <laughs> Oh yeah, they did. Uh, it was like years later after the original series. It was basically like they did Alf doing like fairy tales. So like you know Robin Hood and Jack and the Beanstalk, and it was so you might have seen that series. I, I've re well, I went back because I've heard you know stories of the original series, and holy crap, that show is it is. Uh, I know some of the things back then were very raunchy when it came to like being family like they had some families that that was a lot of adult jokes that the kids didn't get but you go back and you're like wait a minute this kid like puppet is wow this is <laughs> well, they, this, have an, they have a beetlejuice kids show that i don't remember my dad liking me watching and then knowing what's in the beetlejuice movie i'm really not surprised Oh yeah, my my fiance she loves that. She got me into that. Uh, I didn't even know there was an animated series of Beetlejuice, and she yeah, showed he's it to sort me. of pretending to be Lydia's older cousin who's going to school with her, and so it's more like kid version. So it's not like he's this creepy old man perving on a thirteen year old goth. Yeah, it's just and basically it's more... uh, yeah, it's like the more the more uh, whimsical, not whimsical. It's more the comically you know characterized version of you know. The one in the movie, it's de definitely very uh, more kid centric than, you know, how I look at it. It's kind of like how they did. Um, did you ever see the the 90s Adams Family animated series they had a couple of years? Uh, Probably bits 90s? and bobs of it, because I do know there have been a bunch of animated shows. I don't remember which one is which. Uh, this, this is the one. It's, it's the one that sort of looks like. Uh, I think it was like 19, it was like a little bit after the uh, the Christina Ritchie, Christopher Lloyd film. It was, they didn't have the the full rights to do anything uh, associated with the movies, but they did that sort of that uh, same thing as the Beetlejuice series. They took the creepy, you know,ness of the show, but also made it sort of a Hanna-Barbera style comedy. So it was more that, if you saw the original, you're like, ooh, I don't know about my kid watching this cartoon. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, this is just basically Adam's family, Yogi Bear. You know, it was it was something like Is that the one where they have a friend who has who's from a really straight laced family who's always wearing a tie? Yes, yes. And uh Wednesday is uh I think Wednesday's wearing pink in it. She's not actually wearing like a a, a black dress. They have her dressed in pink in this one. Oh, ye gods. Yeah, they have her uh, dressed in pink, and they, I think they have Gomez in like a purple suit. So it was very more, you know, colorful. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's it's one of those things. I see what your dad, why your dad would not want you to watch the cartoon, knowing the uh, the original source material from Beetlejuice. So I definitely, I definitely see with that. Now I think there was. I think there was a Gremlins animated series. I want to, if they didn't, well, that would well, have been a good concept. <laughs> well, they're making, they're trying to make one now for HBO where you see, uh, it's like Mr. Wing is an old man and 
how you know he meets Gizmo in China in the twenties. Oh, Mr. Wing is a young man, like a, even a child. Because assuming he died in like nineteen ninety, that's the beginning of Gremlins two. Um, yeah, because I don't know if they're, they'd be going into the future. Because I don't think Phoebe Cates wants to do movies anymore. No, yeah, I, I don't. I think the I don't think she does acting anymore. The last time I seen her, she was doing. She does a lot of like voice work now for some reason. Like she does a lot of like. It's not not like uh, what is it? It's not like voiceover, like cartoons. But she does a lot of like you know, audio books and stuff now than being on full camera. Because and doing that with being like a full time mom now, she doesn't do anything like you know on film. Yeah, I think she was. I think she voiced her Gremlins character in something recently. That's that's what I'm saying. I think that's what I remember because. You would think too, with I guess with Stranger Things going on, like all those people who were famous in the '80s, you know, you would think that she would come out of retirement, but I guess she just they they didn't come up with a role for her or something because she was a big part of you know. There's a you know there's the actual '80s reference to her of you know the red swimsuit thing that everybody knows, which I found out about it because I watched um, I, before I watched you know Fast Times at Richmond High. The first time I saw it was, you know, the joke about it in Christmas Vacation. And yeah, I haven't I seen some of those. I haven't seen those earlier movies where she doesn't have any clothes on. I thought in Gremlins, she was so adorable, like she and Billy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So imagining her as like a sex symbol is kind of difficult. Oh, yeah. She was one of the ones that was like, that was like one of her known. She was like an 80s sex symbol, basically the same as like Farrah Fawcett in the early days, you know. It was that same people back then were like, oh my God. For for her, because she was in, I think she was in Fast Times or Ridgemont High. I think she was in St. Elmo's Fire, I think. I know she was in a lot of 80s films as like the leading, you know, the the girl that every guy's gonna have a poster of, you know. And she, it was one of those things that she got out of the limelight is because, you know, she she didn't want to. She wanted to step away from that and kind of just, you know, be a normal mom to her kids. She didn't want her kids to be like, oh, yeah, your mom used to be a sex symbol back in the 80s, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that might be a bit might be a bit peculiar. You know, if I if my mom had been in a movie with where she had done nudity, some I imagine some kid being like, ah, look what I saw a picture of your mom and like slugging the kid. Oh, yeah, I told my buddy, I said, if they do not make this joke and in, in, in Stranger Things at least one time because they're getting in the timeline of where when I when I know uh Winona Ryder was really famous, you know, Beetlejuice, you know, Heathers and you know Edward Scissorhands were getting into the series is getting into that era of that era. And so I was like, if they don't make one joke of them going to a movie poster for Beetlejuice or you know, one of them would go, Hey Will, that looks like your mom, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> Because the opportunity is is there just to make a joke about, you know, because she was so big in the part of the, you know, the era that they're basing the show in. She was big in the era not to make a nod of, hey, that that, that chick sort of looks like a young version of Will's mom. This is like what, season five now? It, it would take me like months to binge it. Oh, yeah, they're uh, the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The season five is the one that I think just dropped. 
No, wait, wait. Yeah, no. Season four is the one that they just dropped. Season five is the the coming series is the one that's coming out. And it's supposed to be the last the last of the seasons, but they said that last time that this season was supposed to be the last one. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's going to be one of those. We're done making the series. And then Netflix is like, hey, here's a couple more million dollars for this 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 property. Can you make another season? <laughs> we'll pay you millions to come up with something else. Well, there's this whole. I'm not. I'm not even vaguely aware of the plot. Isn't there this whole bigger universe involving the FBI and the Russians and stuff? Yeah, it, a lot of it. It's to do with. I know at least for the first couple seasons, it had to do with. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, the the experiments that they did in the, like the late '70s, early '80s with, you know, the MK Ultra. That the is that, is that the men who stare at goats or putting people on LSD. It's the one basically, yeah, where they would drug people up with LSD to see how it would affect their brain to kind of use them as like, you know, using that brainwave to spy on other governments using these people as guinea pigs with LSD. Yeah, because you could just have a bunch of Cold War sci-fi shenanigans without the the main cast if they don't want to do it anymore, just set elsewhere in the world. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If they want to keep going on and do a spin series without the main cast, without the kids, because there was a lot more going on with that MK Ultra, which a lot of people don't realize that was a real thing. Like some people are like, oh wait, that was a plot of the show. I'm like, yeah, but that actually happened. I'm like, they actually did that, and it's a lot of stuff where they can go into, you know. There's a lot more they can explore as stuff that, that happened that were, you know, that type of plot in the 80s. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff the government did in the 80s that people don't realize they did. That uh, they could explore. I know, heck, they could even go, you know, a more, if they wanted to go a more diverse version, they could go into, you know, the uh, the cocaine epidemic and, you know, the black communities, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, in the 80s to make, quote unquote, Reagan's war on drugs, they literally put in, you know, made the drug cartels put drugs and get people hooked on crack in the 80s and the, you know, the low income African-American, you know, uh, areas to make the war on drugs. So they, if they want to go a different route, there's so much they can do with, you know, that 80s, you know, look at the dark that's going on where you're shopping at the mall, having a John Hughes montage. This is what's going on in the shadows. So there's a lot that they could play well, around I, with. I was discussing online with somebody from a Facebook group. He came up with something called um, um, SDI Punk. That's sort of a sci-fi version of the 80s. So it's like, have you ever seen the movie Firefox or read the book? Uh, I've seen the film. I've seen the film. Yeah, Clint Eastwood's got to sneak into the Soviet bloc and steal a telepathic Soviet superplane. Yes, like, yes. So there's a lot of like 80s sci-fi with like fighting the Russians in space. That Stranger Things would be like a, like a young adult story set in that kind of uh, genre. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I got from it. And a lot of that same stuff I'm... I guess because I grew up with, you know, older siblings, 
that you know grew up in the 80s so it's weird like it's hitting a lot of i know there's a lot of adults that that show is hitting nostalgic for but for me it's also hitting that and then now they're getting into the 90s you know 90s early 2000s where i could see them doing a older version where now it's the kids or you know their kids they could just keep going on like how they did um what is it? They did one, like kind of how the Wonder Years just did. They did a version where instead of being in the 70s, based in the 80s, it's the Wonder Years where it's based in the 80s and 90s with a, you know, a black family. And, the, you know, there's a lot of revenues. They can do that same thing where instead of just being based in the 80s, they can make a spinoff series, you know, where it's, you know, two of the characters, you know, their kids in the 90s or, you know, in the 2000s to hit that nostalgia because that is now because people are, you know, a lot of people collect things and, you know, want to have that remembrance of quote unquote, when things were okay or better, you know, that was problems in every generation, but, you know, there's that play on everybody's nostalgia of the good times. So, you know, they well, can I, take um... a lot of spinoffs. Well, this is where I get political. I've told the kids to watch 80s movies because remember when air travel was less paranoid? Oh, yeah, it's crazy. I, I went on a plane in like 2010 and, you know, watching those movies, you're like, oh, yeah, this is simple. And then you go back and you're like, oh, my God, this is, uh, I, you know, you don't, you're not you're like, I'm not a terrorist, you know, like I'm not, I know I have nothing on me, but like, it still scares the shit out of you because you're like, oh God, oh God, I'm getting scanned, I'm getting scanned, holy crap. I know I did nothing wrong, but I feel like I did. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, I would consider myself pretty conservative. This is an area where I'd agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, abolish the TSA. Yes, yes, yes. No one is ever going to hijack a plane again. The passengers will beat them to death. Exactly. And don't they have a, I think they have a guy now, like exactly like where it's like somebody who sits in the front seat, who's like a marshal or like. Oh yeah. Air marshals too. Like, like the Israelis had them first. That seemed like a good idea to have. Hey, if somebody, somebody looks threatening, like have somebody on there that's actually armed. Like, isn't that, doesn't that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, speaking of SDI stuff, I just sent you some posts from my ancient blogger blog that are either guest posts from that author I mentioned or like some of my own ideas, how you could make like a, instead of a steampunk or diesel punk, an SDI punk like Top Gun, you know, have Gaddafi with like a super gun shelling Italy. And so Tom Cruise has got to take it out. Sweet. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. That's That's definitely up my alley. Like I said, I love, you know, anything that's, you know, Cy anything like that you know that steampunky sort of cyberpunk thing it's why i love robocop is one of my favorite movies uh that's another another one that's great when it comes you know that um that technologically meets you know the the you know the simpletestness of the you know the 80s crime i love 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 that movie so uh one uh let me so what is uh what what's some uh, other besides you know the the praying mantis thing we talked about uh near the top of the conversation what are you know what are some other genres that you know that you would love to explore I have started writing I haven't finished it's kind of a 
how I would have done Star Trek. So it's somewhat more grounded. Like instead of that, you know, pompous, we don't have money in the 23rd century, kind of Picard talk. It's like the idea is the economy has gone full Andrew Yang. Most of it is automated. And there are not very many human jobs. Most of them are like super skilled. And so they sort of have a citizen's dividend to support people while they do other stuff. Like, for example, the pro the character in the book is um uh, the captain of a, of a military spacecraft, but he's also a published historian. That's kind of what he did. But he wanted a bit, you know, sort of lived on a citizen's stipend and wrote books. But then he ended up joining, going to the, the space land version of, our, of Navy ROTC, and now he's a captain of a spaceship. Sounds yeah. definitely up my, uh, my alley. I, I, I love that concept because I've always, you know, one of my favorite Star Trek series is Deep Space Nine. And, you know, they're like, like you said, they have the, we don't have money in the 21st century. But then you watch Deep Space Nine, and you know how Quarks has, you know, you know, uh, has uh you know the lithium you know the in the in the the blocks of gold because like yeah gold's worthless we want the you know we want the the platinum you know in the things so I'm like yeah there is money still and you still have that so yeah, I don't understand plus, you know <laughs> plus this is my kind of cynical take on the Vulcans the Vulcan logic philosophy is so inimical to what they are naturally the Romulan the the Vulcans naturally are the Romulans so Sorak like the shows, like all the flashback stuff depicts him as basically being Jesus. What if he was Stalin? That's a good take. I like that. That Surak basically took over the planet and turned all the Vulcans into totalitarian slaves, living according to this code that doesn't really work with what they are naturally. And the Romulans are the ones who escaped. Ooh, yeah, that's a good concept. I like that idea. Yeah, let me keep me updated on that because that is definitely something that I would be interested in for sure. But but this kind of gets my experience with some of the more ugly sides of internet culture that the not Vulcans eventually mellowed out, like Stalinism turned into Sweden. But the ones who fled never gave up their grudges. Like I used to remember a message board where these four or five people who were, who were Polish who just hated the Germans and hated the Russians and kept getting banned and coming back under new names. They called them the pole trolls. So the rival civilization in my story are basically the pole trolls in space. They're people who have been wronged, but they have not given up on their grudges to a degree that's almost pathological. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's that same concept that a lot of people make the joke. I know it's it's not always true, but people make the joke about, you know, the Ferengi are basically space Jews. <laughs> Or some sort of weird parody of the United States, you know, the yes. evil cap capitalists. Oh, yeah, about the corporate greed, about, you know, we'll sell your body for if it makes you a profit, you know. Of course, big noses and money don't really help matters. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that is, uh, that's, that I love, 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 love anything that, you know, Star Trek adjacent, which that's goes back to my, you know, we talked about, you know, the new Star Wars films didn't turn out too great. And it's one reason that I kind of got into Star Trek again is because I've seen Star Trek my whole life and I know it was a thing. And there was always the, you know, Star Trek versus Star Wars. And I just sat down one day and I was like, all right, I'm not watching the new Star Wars films because they suck. So I'm going to go, I'm going to give the Star Trek thing 
I'm going to give this Star Trek a full my fandom. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to ingest it. And I came to the conclusion, I was like, okay, this is a, it's a lot better. This is a lot better than Star Wars. And I've always, I've always been like a Star Wars nut. And I'm like, okay, this is, I think I became a Trekkie. This is, this is a lot better written. The plot lines are, especially later on, the plot lines are a lot more realistic when it comes to, you know, dynamics and people's relationships and character growth than, you know, how some of the character growth happens in the Star Wars well, films. Well, <laughs> I liked the first of the new Trek with Chris Pine as a young Kirk, but I did not like what they did with um, Into Darkness. You know, it's, it's sort of like, it was way too much of a rehash of the Wrath of Khan, even though Khan is such a cool character. Like what they should have done is they maybe could have had him, they found the Botany Bay and, you know, they, they kind of they they kind of enslave you know Khan a little bit. Maybe that's how he, you know he realized what it's like to be on the other end of the boot, and and he and Kirkley become friends to escape, and then Old Spock backstabs him. Only then Khan then backstabs everyone else because he's smarter than everyone. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I'm the same way. I prefer you know the 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 in the J.J. Abrams movies. Uh, they have their place, but I, I stick more to the. The series. I'm just now discovering, you know, Discovery, huh? Uh, I'm just now discovering Discovery uh, show, and it, it's. I'm still getting used to that one because it's a little different than what I'm used to. Because I'm more used to, you know, the. That's why I love the Picard series because it brings in, you know, the next generation crew, and it also brings in, you know, Voyager, Deep Space Nine, so all the '90s Star Trek, and so I'm kind of having it's a little different than you know, what they're bringing into Discovery, which is the same thing, like you were saying, the, uh, there's one, there's the newest one that just came out where it's basically if Kirk never was the captain and it was actually Captain Pike. Oh, that one. Um, Strange I, I New Worlds, any I of this. Yeah, Strange New Worlds. I haven't watched any of the new stuff. Like the last Star Trek thing I saw was, was um, Beyond, which I thought was a great idea until the big twist the reveal who crawl was yes i'm yes. thinking yeah most soldiers hate war he's it, the, the commercials made it sound like he was someone from an, a race outside the federation that felt threatened by it you know the expanding space democracy absorbing everything yeah he's the equivalent of like one of the indian tribes you know he doesn't want to get run over Oh yeah. Now like the line, the, the line, this is where the frontier pushes back. Yes. During the Civil War, the Confederate armies, with the Texan troops were all fighting for the Confederacy elsewhere. The Comanche Indians were pushing the line back to the sea in a couple places. So that was a big wasted opportunity there with Crawl. You know, to an outsider, the Federation is terrifying. Yes. yes. Now with those two, have you ever seen the uh, the two series? Is that I always recommend to you know people too have you ever seen any uh episodes of farscape or babylon 5 um i did see some of babylon 5 like some of the plot the plot where they rebel against earth because they got taken over by that fascist guy and then so they come in and they stop him from blowing up earth out of spite and then they then his vice president then tries to court marshal sheridan for staging a military coup that she was helping in and he just kind of goes along with it, which I'm thinking that is the dumbest thing. Yes. 
which I, yeah, that's there's a, a whole great space series. fleet commanded by his wife up top in one word and she gets glassed oh yeah and i always tell people too like if you're a fan of uh how it comes back a lot of people don't realize that the guys who wrote you know uh deep not deep space not the guys who wrote um babylon 5 were actually a lot of the writers for deep space 9 and so they took a lot of their thing was okay we have the same concept you're on a spaceship not spaceship but a, a star station and how can we take you know the there was a lot of things that they couldn't do on star trek because you know you had you know the the there was stuff that that was the easy way out to write something you could go okay I can transport him using your transporter. I could use this. I could use that. So they're like, well, what if we had this, but they didn't have transportation technology. So everything, they had to go down to the planet or they had to travel. They had to use it. They had to use a, a shuttle. So why don't we do that? So it was basically like Babylon five is deep space nine. If they didn't have some of the caveats to hold them back inside the star Trek realm of you know what we know as star trek you know fundamentals and it's yeah, uh, it's it's my understanding babylon babylon 5 was basically a bunch of people from star trek who decided you know where this is how we would do it yeah yeah it was it was the, the co-creator and uh the lead head writer it was one it was the co-creator the guy who co the two the guy who created it and one of the head and two or three of the head writers from uh, that wrote on Next Gen and wrote on Deep Space are the ones who created uh, Babylon 5. So basically, yeah, that's what it was. It was basically like, hey, this is, if we didn't have the the perimeters of Star Trek, this is what we would have done for Deep Space Nine. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Farscape, that is a, that show is so amazing. I, I don't know if you know the the concept of the show Farscape or not. Yeah, a friend of mine was really into Farscape, and it was on, but I never really watched it. It's 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 really good. It takes that whole, you know, everybody's like, oh, I want to be abducted by aliens or all this stuff. It takes that concept of, well, what would happen if you really did? If you were thrown into this world of extraterrestrials and different planets and dimensions, how would you react and could you adapt to survive or could you give up you know everything you ever known and everything you ever loved could you move on with a new life and start something new and that concept i thought was really cool and then in throughout the series they tease a little bit of like oh he's going to get back to home he's going to get back to earth he's going to get there's going to be a portal he's going to get back and it's just enough to where he gets that glimpse of this is what I used to, but now I'm so immersed where I'm in now. I don't want to go back for a long time. I wanted to go back, but now where I am, I don't want to go back because I love where I ended up. So I always recommend that series too. So that is another amazing sci-fi series. And one thing they did too, that I love that I haven't seen anybody else do is the ship itself is an actual like living being that it can control itself and it cuts them off and different stuff and it just has a alien that is you know planted inside of it that they work together to control how the ship works and it, it translates the ship into what like the crew can understand like it speaks for the ship 
and I thought that was a cool concept for the series. And it, it's and it's uh plus it's a lot of people don't realize the show was produced by the Jim Henson Company. So and I always loved Jim Henson and anything to do with puppetry and Muppets. So that's a that's another reason if you're if you ever want to give it a go just because it's a Jim Henson project, you know, give it a go as well. Speaking of, speaking of Jim Henson, that alternate history forum I used to be a member of, that's when the the poll trolls came from. Someone had, did a whole alternate history about Jim Henson buying into Disney in the early 80s when he was doing very well and Disney was not. I just sent you on Facebook the TV Tropes page. It's called A Hippie in the House of Mouse. It's like a whole alternate world. And it is really fascinating. Like the person who wrote it um, clearly knows their history of Disney and Jim Henson in the late 70s and early 80s. But that sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. That That is definitely up my alley because I'm into that type of alternate history thing. Like what if, you know, like I think there was a series uh, a couple years ago. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's like the Red Tower or something, but it's like, what if you know what if it was either the russians or the nazis it was like what it's if they in the high castle i think and that's the nazis i think yeah and it was a good I've, i watched some of it and i was like wow that is crazy but that's a good that, way of like what if they won yeah that's not uh, there's a much more plausible one for the early 90s called fatherland where the germans have beaten russia the u.s has beaten japan so we have a cold war with them and the dying Hitler is, recognizes everything is falling apart, so he tries to make peace with the U.S. So he's having all the surviving camp guards and people involved in the Holocaust, because at this point the Jews are all dead. So he's having them killed to cover it up. And they made it into an HBO show with Rutger Hauer. Oh, I'm definitely going to check that out. That is... Yeah, because that, that seems a bit more realistic than you know the Nazis getting here with no Navy. I think Man High Castle, I think, was trying to comment about like racism in America. That's what I got from it too. Now that you say that, I was thinking that same thing too because I was like, "Wait a minute, how? But then, the, you know, the Navy thing. I'm like, that makes no sense. <laughs> how does that is that? So I see what you mean from that. That's definitely what I think happened too. So yeah, I'm definitely check out. So what what is the name again of that series? So I can the book and the movie are both called Fatherland. Fatherland. I think someone might have just posted the whole movie on YouTube. Shows how much it, HBO cares, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to check that out because that is definitely, like I said, I love, you know, being a history nerd. I uh, I, I love stuff like that. You know, the altered history, like I was explaining to um, my my fiance because we were talking about, you know, the American history stuff they have at Disney. And I was like, yeah, I've always been a weird history kid. I was like, the people at Disney didn't like me. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, we went into the thing where they have a, they have a, I think it's like, it's artifacts, but it's not real. It's replicas of the real things. And they had George Washington's teeth. And as a lot of people in a, who were taught in the American school system, as you know, being a teacher, George Washington's teeth, you know, were made of wood and he had the spring gums. What people don't really know is that's not actually the whole truth. George Washington's gums were wooden, but his teeth were actually air quotes here given to him by the slaves so his teeth were real actual teeth but the gums were 
where the gums were wooden, but that doesn't look as good to our founding father that he stole the teeth of slaves to put in his own mouth. <laughs> okay, wooden gums. I'm gonna have to look into that because I'm just how ganked up would your mouth have to be? You have to have wooden gums. Well, it wasn't like a gum. It was basically like a. It was like the first ever like dentures. Like it was. Um, oh. Yeah, it was like a pair of dentures where they basically instead of having like now where they're like. I forget. I don't know what they're made of now, but that part was wooden, and the teeth were ones that oh, he had so put in there. Oh yeah, I'm seeing that. I'm I'm seeing that now. Wooden teeth myth at mountainvernon.org. So yeah. it does look like dentures, and they're yeah, ivory, gold, lead, and human teeth. Yeah, lead. Oh boy. Yeah, and so a lot of they, so yeah, so a lot of people they were like, yeah, in the history books they said, yeah, with the full wooden. I'm like, <laughs> no, that's not what it was. He stole from those. Like I said, it says in the history, you know, he was they were given to him. But I'm like, yeah, we know how that went down. That is not. They didn't just give you their teeth. And like I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, the history books, yeah, they're written by the victors, and the they're they're not gonna slander somebody like that so yeah yeah that's not the real story and so she was laughing because i was like yeah as a 10 year old kid at disney the guy the guide was looking at me like shut up kid i'm trying to do my spit here for the for the disney but i'm like that's not true that's uh this is actually what happened <laughs> joked her i was like it was definitely a sheldon cooper moment <laughs> what websites and stuff can people find your books or where can they right. uh, find your books at all right, the ebooks for The Thing in the Woods, The Atlanta Incursion, Battle for the Wasteland, Son of Grendel, and Serpent and Sword are Kindle Unlimited. Um, so the ebooks are Amazon exclusive. So for now, the ebooks are all on Amazon. The print books you can get lots of different places because they're um I use expanded distribution on Amazon. So Ingram will print will send print books like books a million and Barnes and Noble and all that, but you'd have to order them special. You can't get them in a bookstore. Well, send them your way so they can, you know, get all your books and stuff. Cause I definitely highly recommend anybody who's looking to get any of your stuff. I highly recommend your stuff. Thanks again for coming on. All right, everyone. That's going to be another episode of the Phantom Squad podcast. Would you like to see our outro? We always say, enjoy the madness. Enjoy the madness.